You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Thomas, flying solo on today's episode. Uh, really cool episode that, um, you know, I've been looking forward to talking to these guys for a while. We met them, um, oh, I don't know, a while back uh, when we first started our podcast and, um, you know, been we've been wanting to get them on. So uh, today we actually have... Brandon Butler and Nathan Shags McLeod um, with Driftwood Outdoors podcast. Uh, Driftwood Outdoors is, an, is another Missouri-based podcast. If you don't know about them, you should. You should go check them out. Uh, they're a really good listen. They have some really awesome guests that you don't see a lot of other places. They do a lot of fishing content. They're just a terrific uh, group of guys that I love listening to, learning ton from them and uh you know we just kind of talk about what their show is and and some of the stuff they've been up to they just got back from africa actually we talk about that um talk about all kinds of cool stuff uh in the episode with them and it's just a really good time and and two great guys that you can uh you know you can kind of feel like you can sit down and, and have a beer with them um and uh i, I probably butcher shags's name last name like 15 times i might have even already done it once um but he'll forgive me uh when he listens to this so uh shags i'll keep butchering your last name but uh i apologize man <laughs> anyways let's get into some um some sponsors real quick before we hop into the show um we've got a nice lineup here man reveal cameras by tacticam uh this time of the year things are starting to shift bucks are starting to do different things this is when I usually start moving cameras around too, uh, when I'm out hunting or, you know, a specific trip out there. Um, so probably going to be moving some of my cams around. I take that opportunity to switch batteries out as well and, uh, you know, move on from there. So check them out. Reveal cameras by Tacticam Black Ovis. Use our code MWW10 for 10% off. And, um, you know, they've got some stuff. I mean, uh, I'm, I've been running a saddle this year for the first time and was able to get a few things from Black Ovis, Camel Fire, hop on there, get some, some deals. Um, I was on that app this morning. Um, I won't tell you what I was doing this morning, as you guys are well aware, but that's what I was doing when I was on the app. Uh, it's a great time to uh, to reflect and decide what I want to buy from Camel Fire. Lucky Buck, definitely, you know, 
slowing down my usage of it right now, but absolutely love going and dumping it um, from a mineral standpoint to, you know, keep the deer at least getting what they need. And, um, you know, think about your plan for next year. Wouldn't be a horrible time to start thinking about getting some of that and being ready for next spring as well. So remember that. On X Maps, use our code MWW20 for 20%. Um, I use the wind feature on Onyx all the time during deer season and that's just one of the many features they've got if you want to hear more about their features go back a few weeks and listen to our show that we did with Jared from Onyx River's Edge tree stands lock-ons ladders you name it I put together five ladder stands uh, this summer and all five of those ladder stands are still sitting in my shed I uh, did a crap job of preparing but uh you know, they might get out soon. We'll see. Or they might get out next year. But at least they're put together now. Uh, it's an enjoyable, uh, it's a good feeling when you get a, a nice two-man ladder stand put together. Midwest Gunworks, uh, MidwestGunworks.com. Use our code WOODSWATER for 5% off. Athlon Optics, AthlonOptics.com. Find a dealer near you. Uh, I'm running the Midas Tac and the Ares EHD. Those are the two scopes I'm running. And their rangefinder is legit. Weber Outfitters, WeberOutfitters.com. Hop on their website, give them a call, get in the store. They've got shotguns out the wazoo now, uh, Benelli, you name it. They they seem to have it now. Um, So check them out for kind of all your your archery and gun-type needs. And then last but not least, Morel Targets uh, are my big roller. Went out to Colorado or Wyoming with me and – you know, it's nice. You just get out the truck, you throw it, and you shoot whatever side shows up. It's 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 pretty awesome that way, so check them out. Uh, thanks to our sponsors. If you haven't checked out our website, check it out at MissouriWoodsAndWater.com. Uh, we will be continuing to grow our gear section uh, slowly but surely. And if you would be so inclined, leave us a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform uh, you listen to. And go check out the fellas at Driftwood Outdoors if you have not yet. You can find them on any podcasting platform as well. Uh, Just search Driftwood Outdoors and you will find their show. But let's get into our awesome talk with the fellas at Driftwood Outdoors. This is the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast. All right, with us, we've got... Brandon Butler and Shags, Nathan McLeod. I don't know if I ever say your last name right, but that's what I'm going You nailed with. it, dude. Nobody ever gets that right, and you nailed it. Ah, well done. I've listened McLeod. to you guys a time or two. Uh, of the Driftwood <laughs> Outdoors podcast, boys, what's going on? Man, just uh, getting ready for fall. You know, we are kind of in the throes of, of summer and getting getting tuned up on the bow ready for this fall fishing looking forward to some rainy days some overcast days on the river and just loving life man that is what he said (laughs) that's what he said yes um i'll tell you what boys so we just uh recorded a show for your show your your podcast as well and i think i figured out why i like listening to you so much why is that you both have that voice that is soothing to an individual's ear oh man i hope the ladies <laughs> that's are what it is <laughs> oh, hope ladies are listening well, see hello. people yes. listen to our show late night radio <laughs> brandon butler 
Um, people listen to our show in spite of me being on it. And I think they listen to you boys because it's just so enjoyable to the ear. Look, dude, don't cut yourself short. There's a guy named Ben Shapiro out there that stuffs his mattress with money. And he sounds like a three-year-old boy when he talks. Like yeah, that, but he's pretty smart. Dude, oh, he's, he's one of my favorites to listen to. But, uh, man, what a curse to have that voice. Yeah, that, that is a, that's like chalk or nails on chalkboard, that's for sure. But, um yeah, what he's got going for him, and he's he's super smart, maybe even genius. I just don't sound good, and I can't think real good either. You know, but hey, that's all right. <laughs> it's a double whammy, dude. <laughs> well, I I grew up with my dad telling me that this alligator mouth was gonna get my hummingbird bee hole in trouble one day, and now I like to remind him that this alligator mouth pays the bills. Yes, it does. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, fellas, uh, for the listeners on our show, um, if you listen to us, you should know that there's another awesome podcast based out of our state driftwood outdoors and uh we're talking to the two uh hosts of the show so uh you guys have been around for a long time obviously and what i love about what y'all do is is kind of what you two do outside of the podcast right uh brandon i know you uh i know part of your background obviously is in conservation and what you've been doing with your your professional career and then shags obviously you know you talk a lot, right? You're good at it. <laughs> Just kidding. I, it, it is Famous, my job. Famous radio <laughs> it DJ. It is my job. So how did your guys' podcast come together and kind of give everybody like a little background about where you come from? And I did not warn you, okay? So here's how I want you all to do this. I want you each to introduce yourselves. Talk about your background. And if you ever oh. listen to our show, one thing I ask our Missouri-based uh, guest to do is tell me about the favorite thing about the missouri outdoors for them so okay you guys have to think on the fly but introduce yourselves and let's talk about where driftwood came from so so how about i introduce myself shags introduces his stuff and then i'll come back and tell how we merged okay good plan works all right so i moved to missouri in 2010 after a stint out west i i graduated from purdue moved to colorado learned that Denver's just another big city. So I went to Montana. I was up there for quite a while, had two babies in 13 months, went back to Indiana where I really learned how to apply uh, Western tactics to the outdoors to the Midwest. A few years later, um, at the time I was, I was serving a sentence in hell as a pharmaceutical sales rep, but it was, it was good for getting around Montana and hunting and fishing. When I got back to Indiana, I ended up going to work for the department of natural resources uh, as the governor's liaison to the department. And I started writing a syndicated newspaper column in 2006 called Driftwood Outdoors. Um, I moved to Missouri in the early spring, late winter of 2010 to become the marketing manager at Battenfeld Technologies, which at the time was owned by Midway USA. So I was over the brands like Caldwell, Wheeler Engineering, Tipton Gun Cleaning Supplies. We brought Lockdown to market, um, created things like the dead shot field pod at that time and, and helped bring that to market. So it was a lot of fun. Then Mr. Potterfield decided to sell that company. The writing was on the wall that it was going to change quite a bit. And I got an opportunity to go to work for a marketing agency for a year and help bring Walther firearms, uh, into kind of a standalone position in the North American market. They branched off from Smith and Wesson. Then I also covered uh, Starline Brass and Sierra Bullets down in Sedalia. After doing that for about a year, 
the executive director position opened up at the Conservation Federation, and I got into the running for it. Um, they offered the job to another guy first. Uh, there was a, a situation with the board. They ended up not approving that person. So then they opened it back up. They offered it to another guy. He turned them down because they couldn't meet his salary. And I'm still standing there in the room waving my hand saying, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. <laughs> and uh, so I was the third first choice for the new executive director job at CFM. And, you know, I, I like to think we did a really good job of the five years I was there bringing that organization into a more modern era. So while I'm there, though, it was one of the most tumultuous times in conservation in recent memory, 2014, 2015, 2016. The legislature, some for some ungodly reason, got behind these high-fence deer operations at the time when CWD was just starting to spread throughout the state. So, you know, these guys are moving these infected deer around. They're taking CWD and moving it from point to point. That is not arguable. That is a fact. And, and somehow they bought off the legislature to get behind this industry calling it agriculture, which is the greatest load of bullshit I've ever dealt with in my life. Shags is trying to like win the love of a woman at this time, Savannah, through the Department of Conservation. So he starts like really supporting MDC. That's not so completely fiance. true. Get <laughs> so fiance All right, let me, I'll, I'll eventually get to that. So <laughs> I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, the very tip corner if you grew up watching goonies uh, i grew up in goonies country when i visited his home i got to see the goonies house. you did man you got to hunt out there so um uh, as as long as i could remember ever since i was a little ankle biter i wanted to be a radio dj like i would turn the djs up the music down the music got in the way of these guys t making prank phone calls and telling fart jokes and, like doing everything i was doing and getting trouble in school for so i went to college in Minnesota on a basketball scholarship and played hoops with guys from Boonville, Missouri. So after graduation, I went back home. I started doing radio. They didn't want to move back to Boonville, so they moved to Columbia, and they kept telling me, you got to come to Columbia, man. This place is awesome. And long story short, I was getting fired from that radio job, so I applied to every single radio station in Columbia, Missouri, and only one returned my email and for a part-time five hour a week, not five hour a day, five hour a week, Saturday, seven to midnight shift. I was like, good enough. I'm coming out. And the things you do when you're 21, 22 years old, I drove what, 1500 miles for a five hour a week job. <laughs> Smart that's investment, you are, right? You, that's why yeah. you are where you I, are I, now. I, though, I chased a dream, man. I lived on an air mattress. I used to call it my white trash waterbed. I couldn't afford water, so when I just filled it with air. When I started my newspaper column, the first question I had to answer was, will you do it for free? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I so, I mean, I worked three jobs seven days a week there for a while, just chasing this dream of radio and turned it into uh, – management and uh when i started i took a three-year sabbatical and ended up back home and then they called to ask me if i'd take over for bob and tom i was actually fish salmon fishing on the columbia river and i did three interviews over the phone i started each one with if i hang up on you i promise to call you right back but i'm not going to lose a salmon over a job i might not take <laughs> and <laughs> kind of goes to show you how diehard i am when it comes to fishing but I ended up taking that job and moved back to Columbia. 
took over for Bob and Tom on the classic rock station doing mornings. And that is now 11 years I've been doing it. And what Brandon was hinting at was I was like, just, just tell my stories. It was, it was just easy show prep for me to talk about hunting or fishing or just my love for Missouri outdoors. And, um, Brandon was right in the fact that we had a couple of representatives and a senator that were trying to gut the Department of Con- Conservation. We're trying to defund them. And with my job, I get to be a professional troll. And I would, I would call them at 4 o'clock in the morning and ask them, leave them voicemails knowing no one was going to be in the office, and ask them, why do you hate Missouri? Why are you destroying the things we love? And I would then post on social media their office number and i would tell all our listeners will you please call these two representatives and ask them why they hate missouri it got to the point where one of them was quoted in the st louis dispatch i do not hate the state of missouri (laughs) (laughs) so um then the then i want to do something like we had this great idea we had a mutual friend was like hey do you know who brandon butler is with the conservation federation of missouri well first you're on the air saying i'm coming to the capitol yes. with a bullhorn yeah, i was <laughs> gonna storm the capitol <laughs> that was the plan yeah i was gonna go down there and somebody was like you need to meet brandon and uh my co-host trevor and i and who was the other was it old uh was it david there was four of us there. Clondro? No, it wasn't David. I maybe it was. I think it was. Yeah, Because he was, was a CLC student at the time. Yeah. It, we sat down at Shiloh over wings and a couple of beers, and we decided to create Conservation Day at the Capitol. And that turned out to be, what, the biggest? Yeah, it's one of the biggest lobby days in, in the Capitol. In the so Capitol every I, year? I got a hold of Shags. I said, hey, man, I love your passion. I, I think I have a better idea. And what we did was we went into the rotunda, which is the third floor. For anybody that's not been up there in the Capitol, you have the Senate chamber on one side and the House chamber on the other side. There's a big circular open area in the middle, and that's under the dome on top of the Capitol. If you're in a if you're in a if you're a Missourian and you haven't been to the Capitol, you need to just spend a day and drive down to Jeff City because we have one of the most beautiful state Capitol buildings yeah, in the country. It's, it's, it's remarkable. So anyways, if you're ever curious where your tax money goes, just go walk into the county and you will realize this is where all the money is. So we filled that floor. They're like, okay, the most you can have up here is 10 tables. I took that rule, threw it out the window. We spread at least 30 organizations out across that floor on the first year. And then we just kind of refined it. We brought in a bald eagle from the World Bird Sanctuary. So now... All the politicians get to come out and stand in front of an American flag and take a picture with an eagle. And and we showed like unity and conservation through putting the Missouri Trappers Association right next to the Environmental Council of Missouri and the NWTF right next to the fishing guys and the pollinator people next to, you know, the quail hunting guys. And so we we showed that conservation really is a big tent that we all fit under. And if we can just put aside our individual differences and focus on the 80 to 90% of things that we all agree upon, we are a huge, huge voice. And and we did that through Conservation Day. And and really that's why the Conservation Federation Missouri is so special is it, it is that big tent organization where, you know, the hunters and the non hunters come together 
with a love of wildlife and a love of wild places. And we got that representative on the radio show to admit it was all a political ploy. So we spent a lot of time in the Capitol. I mean, I was the point man for, for five years and Shags has done so much more volunteer work than, than most people could even imagine. You know, it's a lot to ask somebody to come to the Capitol, sit in a chair in front of like a dozen or more legislators who can ask you questions, but you cannot ask questions of. Take their beating, be the puppet in their grandstand show, and still have the strength mentally and the fortitude to stand up there, make your point, and and try to move forward collectively with people that will do that with you. The number of people that show up, it's pathetic i mean it's you can count them on you know both of your hands well in those house committee meetings they're they're tailored for the politicians they sit they sit up way above you staring down at you and you're in this little chair looking up at this little mic and they give you like three minutes it's super intimidating and they know what they're doing and i want to be clear that i'm not calling people pathetic i'm calling the process pathetic because you're trying to get input from hunters and anglers from around the state for these decisions that they're trying to make which nine times out of 10, they don't have the constitutional authority to do in the first place. So it's a waste of taxpayer time and money and lawsuits now going through the Supreme Court have proven that to be true. So it's just, it's pathetic that we can almost make a mockery of something that's so important. We live in a state where like 550,000 people buy a deer license, unique people buy a deer license each year, collectively buying like 1.3 million deer licenses. We have over 2 million people in the state that identify as anglers. And that's out of a population of 6 million people. If you love the outdoors, there's no place better to be than Missouri. And, and yet we year after year after year deal with politicians that are willing to basically take bribes from people that want to demean and diminish conservation in the state. So the the Citizen Army, which is CFM, and all the affiliated organizations, of which there's like 100, comes together and defends us against those attacks. So long story short, I didn't get to use my my bullhorn, and Brandon and I became best friends. (laughs) (laughs) And and now we've lost a bunch of money doing a podcast. (laughs) And we're the three best friends that anyone could have. Well, uh, and I guess the, the other question was the favorite thing about Missouri, I have to give Brandon credit for too, because growing up in the Pacific Northwest, I grew up trout, salmon, steelhead, sturgeon, all this type of fishing. I came out to Missouri and was like, oh, you guys don't have anything. And he's like, dude, we got some of the best trout fishing in the country. I was like, yeah, right. And then we went to Lake Taneycomo and I got introduced to that because I thought trout fishing in Missouri was just opening day. It was in the parks. Everyone is shoulder to shoulder, all that. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. But then he introduced me to not only Taney Como, but then I started exploring the trout parks and outside the parks and some of our wilder rivers. And that is my favorite thing outdoors in the state is down in the Ozark, wade fishing, floating, that type of thing. Yeah. Now, for me, it's going to be a similar answer. If I had a 2,000-acre farm on the Iowa border, that would probably be my favorite thing is to be up there in those hills. My my job today is in renewable energy. I work for Raceline Alternative Energy. I host a television show called Prairie Profits. It's another podcast as well. And it's all about the intersection of agriculture, conservation, and renewable energy. So I love North Missouri where all of our farms are. We're around like Bethany, Albany, Unionville, Milan, 
all these little rural America towns that that really my soul belongs to. I'm a rural, small town kind of guy. John Mellencamp was my guy growing up, you know, in Indiana during the 80s and 90s. If you didn't listen to John Mellencamp, it'd kick you out of the state, you know. So small town, Jack and Diane, that's like the the, the score of my life movie. But um, it has to be the Ozark streams. Like if people haven't heard the story of my, my cabin, it's pretty tragic. Um, I know, have simple, heard that story, but yes, a, it is a, a simple, a simple Google of Brandon Butler cabin will explain it all to you. But long story short, I, I bought 40 acres on sinking Creek just outside of the new echo bluff state park. I was working with governor Nixon and state park director at the time, Bill Bryan to build awareness about this, this incredible piece of property they were developing into what has become the premier park in, in the system. It's booked out for years in advance. And I just happened to be able to talk a guy into selling me the closest piece of property to it on the creek and built this incredible lodge um, and then got into it with like some real shit bags, man, like meth head poachers. And I turned in some poachers uh, after years of dealing with it. Um, deer season after deer season after deer season ruined by their dog running. Uh, the pride that they take in in breaking the laws of, of conservation. And uh, I took all I could take and I couldn't take no more. And I turned them in and they burned my house to the ground. So that cannot put the fire out though, metaphorically in my own heart for those Ozark streams. Given one day left to live, you know, I would try to gather my family together and go wade fish in Ozark stream for smallmouth bass. Yeah. You know what's funny is you guys, both your answers are super, super similar to about every other answer I ever get on that question. And it's because, and like, I, I love listening to that answer every time though. You know what I'm saying? Like, how many times can you be told one plus one is two? But it it's so true. The state of Missouri, I always say it this way. It's like there's five states in one state here. You have the Ozark Mountains. Southeast, the central part of the state, just south of St. Louis looks like a different, you know, different place. And then you got the northern part of the state, the western part of the state, you got crops. I mean, it's just like Missouri is this awesome place of like all these different states that just merge together to make our badass state. Right. And that's why I love hearing that answer every time, because it's almost like it's the, the diversity that this state has. If you're a deer hunter. You can hunt deer. If you love fishing for trout, you can do that. If you love turkey hunting, you can do that. There's nothing you really can't do here. You can even elk hunt here now, five people. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's just amazing what the, the state offers. Did you apply for that elk tag? I do every year. It's like 20 yeah, bucks. What too. is it, 10 bucks? I can't yes. remember. Yeah. Uh, I'll never I'll never draw it, and if I do, that'd be the best thing ever. And if I don't, don't. then... Don't say never, dude. <laughs> I got the golden ticket this year. That's that true. shit happens. It's true. It's true. It's true. True. And I, I mean, I, I told you guys on your show about the the elk tag I drew with a 0.7 percent chance of drawing. So it it can happen. But I we did a show with your CFM back when you were uh, with CFM, um, Brandon, about uh, man, I don't even remember what it was about. Now this, I think it was about share the harvest, and. I, me and Micah learned so much, Andy wasn't on that show, me and Micah learned so much in that show about 
how awesome conservation is in the state of Missouri. Um, like we were the first state to adopt the half percent of what is it? Half a percent of one. No, it's one eighth here. I'll explain. Yes. Do it correctly. uh, So yeah, we're very, very fortunate in this state to have two constitutionally mandated sales taxes that were put in place by the people. We've got a one eighth of one cent conservation sales tax. So that means when you buy anything that is taxed at a store, you're paying an eighth of a penny per dollar. So if I sold you a bow for $8, you're putting a penny into the jar. I think it's on average we spend $13 a year of a resident mm-hmm. on conservation. So collectively, though, that money, those pennies add up to mm-hmm. right now around $120 million a year. Yep. So that means not only are the deer hunters and anglers putting money into conservation, every single person that has the luxury of seeing a beautiful prairie on state land or seeing eagles fly or, or experiencing clean water to swim in. The conservation work that's being done is funded collectively by all of us for all to enjoy. And we have over a million acres of state land. We have over 1.5 million acres of national forest. We have hundreds of thousands of acres of Army Corps land around many of our reservoirs that you can hunt. A lot of people don't know that down on like Truman, you can pull your boat over mm-hmm. and hunt turkeys. You can you can sit out in Truman and catch crappies while you're waiting for a turkey to gobble. Beat your boat, walk up on the shore, kill that turkey, find a mushroom on your way back to your boat, get in your boat and go catch more crappies. And I believe it is on average within 30 miles of every resident. Every resident, there's like a 30-mile radius right. where there's a boat ramp or a conservation area. So, so we have all this conservation money that's making sure that these, these lands that we have are managed well, that our wildlife is healthy. On top of that, we have a one-tenth of a cent sales tax called the Park Soil and Water Sales Tax. One of the greatest things I've ever been part of was in 2016 as executive director of CFM, I led the renewal campaign of that tax. And that was amazing to see how we could all agree on something. We held our meetings at Farm Bureau. Most times I was in the Capitol, Farm Bureau was against it. I was for it. I was for it. Farm Bureau was against it. It was an unfortunate relationship. And, and then we came together. And that's because that tax goes to the Department of Natural Resources. It's about $100 million a year. And it's split 50-50 between funding our state parks. So we have, every year, our state parks are awarded as some of the best in the nation. And that is, I've traveled to nearly every state, and it is so true. Like, we are blessed in this state with state parks. They are phenomenal. And they're free to go in. Free. The first time I went to a state park was when it's spring. And I drove around trying to figure out where to pay. I finally <laughs> went in the concession. I'm like, where do I pay? And there, because I grew up in Indiana. I went yeah. to the DNR. It's $7 for a, a, a resident license plate to come in. It's $10 for a non-resident. So 50% of that money goes to fund our state parks, keep them the best in the country, and keep them free for all to enter. The other 50% goes to fund the soil and water conservation districts in Missouri. Every county has one. So essentially what you're doing there is you're taking public funds and you're privatizing them on private lands to the benefit of all. And the benefit being, you know, conservation improvements on your property to keep nitrogen and phosphorus out of our waterways, uh, to implement practices that help solve erosion issues, 
whatever. So it's, it's things that the landowners and farmers likely wouldn't be able to afford to do if there wasn't assistance, but in, in funding their efforts to do so, we all benefit downstream. So it's something that you can feel really good about. And that tax taught me that as long as you put something on the table for everyone, you're likely to succeed in life. We passed that tax in 2016 with 81% of the vote and we won 114 out of 114 counties. So Missourians, insane. Missourians stood up and said, we love our state parks, we love clean water, we love supporting our farmers, we love landowners, let's all just work together. And man, like that might sound like some kumbaya shit, but it worked and it's possible for politics to work like that if most of our politicians would simply, you know, try instead of the theatrics and the show, right. like try to work together because we know that the people will do what's right when it makes sense. Yeah. And what I love about, uh, organizations like CFM too, uh, especially after like talking to, um, CFM back when we had them on, uh, which neither of it wasn't you. It was, uh, uh, you m- probably remember Colton Zirkle. He was on with oh, us. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know Colton really well. I'm a life member of the Missouri Conservation Heritage. Her- he's part of the yeah, Heritage. Yeah, actually. No, not, no, no, it's a hunting. The hunting Heritage. Let's get the name right. It's the Missouri Hunting Heritage Foundation. Foundation. You got it. But what I love about, you know, learning about what CFM really was, right? Because if you're just an average person, sometimes you don't know what some organizations are. Like, what's what's CFM? What is this? Well, it's amazing how often politicians and or people are coming after our hunting rights and the average outdoorsman has no idea it's happening. You know, they're just not there because there's organizations like CFM that are on the front lines, you know, fighting for our rights as Missouri hunters or outdoorsmen and women. And the more I learned about it, I was like, okay, that is awesome that we have something like this because forgive me if I'm wrong. Not every state has that luxury that they have. Well, people most sitting states there. have, most states have a similar organization. It's just that Missouri's is one of the strongest, one of the biggest uh, Michigan United conservation clubs is real strong. Wyoming has a good group. Montana has a good group, Georgia, Alabama. There's some strong groups around the country, but unfortunately they're not in every state that strong. Uh, it's actually an affiliation of organizations through the National Wildlife Federation, which I'm a fan of most of the time. But they've gotten a little too pronouns on business cards for my taste lately. Right, right. I hear you. But, but at the national level, you've got the Sportsman's Alliance. You know, those guys are incredible. Those guys don't, you know, they don't pull any punches. They talk about what they believe in, trapping, hunting, shooting rights. Uh, you got the TRCP, the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. And the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation, they're doing a ton of behind-the-scenes work with legislators at the Washington, D.C. level. So when it does come time to make some donations throughout the year, if you're interested in supporting your rights, you know, look at those organizations to make a $20 donation to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just we just learned so much. Uh, I didn't mean to go down this big rabbit hole uh, <laughs> as bad, but uh, we learned so much. You know, they talk about, let's say you're, you're a deer hunter, right? Okay, and that's all you are. Well... You might not care that they're going after hound hunting, right? But make no mistake about it. That's just the low-hanging fruit. They're, 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 you know, they go after you know, the low-hanging fruit sometimes so that uh, they can get that one out of the way. And then guess what might be next? And so 
you know, if you're a, a, a outdoorsman or woman or a conservationist, you should care about everything that is available out there, not just what affects you. And that's what's cool about organizations like CFM and, and other state organizations and the one like Sportsman's Alliance and other uh, national ones that you talk about. But, man, I, so I appreciated um, meeting a guy like Brandon and Shags that were kind of, you know, like frontline type of dudes that were – doing the our bidding for us and like fighting for what the what is right for us as as a state and as as outdoorsmen and women so you guys uh always kind of sit up on a little bit of a pedestal for me don't get big ass heads i'm not saying you're you know too late but yeah they had to they had to make me a special helmet (laughs) but uh you know I know Shags is already like six ten, anyways, but you know, just yeah. Uh, I was gonna say, like, if we're if, if we're on the front lines, and it, it's kind of like uh, Jon Snow and the Giant in Game of Thrones. Standard. It's go. funny that I'm watching so, that whole series again because I you know the giants that are north of the wall. Yeah, that's Shags Ken. That's me. That's where I, that's, that's where I come from. The White Walkers. That makes sense. <laughs> that's my that brood. makes sense. That makes sense. He's north of the wall. Man, I was just the wisest on the radio that had a platform that could stand up for conservation. They got just lucky that my big goofy ass likes to hunt and fish, and I got a giant signal and a microphone, so they're kind of forced well, we to were, listen. We were talking about consistency not too long ago, and, um, you know, that's the that's the key. You know, you guys putting out your podcast every week. We put our podcast out every week. I wrote my first newspaper column in September of 2006. And I've published a, a newspaper column every week since. So it's the consistency. I mean, I write from vacation. I, I've written from the hospital. Wherever I have to be, I'm, I'm consistently getting that message out. And, you know, over time, nearly 20 years now, it's started to uh, to build a little bit of a following, I guess. That's impressive because I have a hard time forming one sentence, let alone writing an article. So I'm proud of you for that. <laughs> when I was a kid, man, like, I, I was fortunate to have a grandpa that consumed outdoor media. And it's just funny, like, how life works out because my grandpa, like, I would literally stay the night over at his house on Friday nights. And this is pre-cable. That's how old I am. We're talking, like, 1988, 1989. I was 9, 10 years old in that time period. And we'd stay the, I'd stay the night there. Grandpa would get up early, make pancakes. And at 5.30 in the morning, we would turn on uh, Channel 38. It was a UHF. Uh, Christian channel out of Chicago and we would watch in fisherman uh, Bill dance Babe Winkleman Roland Martin and 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 just consume it he recorded these tapes I lost some of them in the fire or he re- he recorded these shows on like VHS tapes and I, I lost some of them in the fire but I still have a few and he also went through every magazine and just underlined and highlighted we recently had Al Linder on, the founder of In Fisherman. Yep, yep. That was my that was my dream come true. I've never seen him more excited before in my life. My grandfather up in heaven is bragging on his boy. Like he had no idea. Like he never told me I could do this. He, you know, there was never like you could be an outdoor writer. You could be an Al Linder. No one ever told me. I went through. I was the dude that literally had deer wallpaper i had this like mural in my bedroom like girls would come over and be like mm, yeah nice to meet you bye <laughs> my bedroom what you a know, loser i was in my fraternity <laughs> at purdue i was the guy at like midnight saying shut up i have to go deer hunting tomorrow and they'd be like dude there's like 15 sorority girls in this room you sure you don't want to like hang out with us and i'm like no i'm going deer hunting and they're like 
why didn't somebody say to me like you can go deer hunting when you're 40 like you only get this for a little window of time but that's how consumed i was with it at an early age but still nobody ever said you can make a living in the outdoor industry you could be a writer you could do that so i try to promote that all the time and i you know we talk in our podcast with you um about encouraging other people to do what we're doing right now and i think you've done a great job of that nate like telling other people like if you got something to say say it like i'll do my bradley cooper imitation from a star is born like you got something to say and people want to hear it so Oh, so why not I thought you were going to do the, I just wanted to get another look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I saved that one for other times, man. That was a good line. It, it was. You know, screw, screw Bradley Cooper, too, you know? Like, he, he's probably the closest thing I've ever had to a man crush, just on his acting and looks alone, and then he turns out to be a goddamn rock star. Like, why do some people just get it all? Hey, I've, I've asked that's that question my entire life, but I'm never going to get an answer. <laughs> yeah, but that's a good movie, man. Yeah. Well, there's so many things I want to, like, talk to you guys about because, you know, I've, I've been listening to your show uh, pretty much since we started our show. And you guys have had – I don't really want to bring it up, but I'm going to, okay? Because I know it, it is a tender subject for you, Brandon. But the, the episode you did, and I was actually um, scrolling back through – trying to find it on your guys's uh, list but the episode you did talking about uh driftwood acres i think that did you call it that driftwood acres no yeah that was the name of the the farm yeah the cabin and all that but you're probably talking about the episode called up in smoke yes that that episode you know i listen to a lot of podcasts i drive a lot for work I, that's all i do i don't listen to the radio uh, as far as music playing right so i Love listening to, to podcasts, and, and yours is one of them. And that show, you ever like, you know, you listening to something and you get emotional with the people telling the story? You know, like your emotions change as a result. And that's when you know the content is good, except I felt dirty because the content I was listening to was you talking about losing this freaking, you know, dream of yours, essentially, right? The, the, the cabin and everything that was in it, you just said you lost some of your grandpa's um, memories in there and stuff. Um, oh, man, there's there's no end to the list of things. Yeah, I mean, no end. And I I would just encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that one and kind of hear the um, – I'm still scrolling trying to find Up in Smoke. It's episode 74, Driftwood, Driftwood, Driftwood Acres Up in yep. Smoke. Yep. Yep. Episode 74. Shags, yep. Shags lost things too. A lot of people did. You know, Shags had – uh, his two biggest whitetails of his life. Two biggest hunting. deer, two biggest bucks I've ever harvested in that were in that cabin. You know, three-hour like, show, and I listened to every second of it from beginning to end. Well, what was amazing about that day was all these people showed up to help me clean it up. You know, there were so many people that poured themselves into building this place, and I could look at a wall and be like, Oh, paddle Don and David Calandro put that cedar up. Or I could look at a railing and be like, my dad built that. My dad did the shower. My uncle Tom, you know, hung the rock behind the fireplace. And, you know, Shags was there for moral support. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. He could, he could put so, nails in high spots. 
That's uh, I, no, I, 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 ladder. I actually couldn't. That was a funny story. All I had to do was drill the tin into the ceiling, and I kept shooting screws because I couldn't get it to. And they're falling down on Brandon's dad's head, who was building a bathroom from nothing. Like I was watching it form, and yeah, they they I could measure and I could saw. So you just stayed outside, and I just cut. I cut yeah, the. Were, you were like that guy in The Simpsons. I'm helping. I'm trying. I was trying. <laughs> so I had taken there. There was an old cabin that I took it down like piece by piece. And I took the old roof and made it the ceiling of this like real high vaulted ceiling. It was 20 feet from the floor to the peak. And I ran a rock wall all the way up. I had my grandfather's Boone and Crockett mule deer, his only mounted whitetail and an antelope there. I had my half life size bear, another bear skin that I had from British Columbia. I mean, so many things. I had Ron Kruger's ashes, so he got cremated twice. So he went through the cabin fire. Uh, <laughs> God. Uh, Lord help us. Poor, poor Ron. <laughs> I had, uh, my bed was handmade by my great-grandfather. I mean, I had a cannonball safe that had been passed down since the Civil War. Um, not a cannonball safe, a cannonball chest. Yeah. So things like that, man. And, you know, like, it, it was incredibly painful but at the same time, so humbling. You know, you, you've talked about your faith, Nate, and I appreciate that. You know, I'm one of those people that's always been a believer, but I've always kind of had this, where's God in my life? Like, why do these people claim that, like, God talks to them and they have this relationship? And I've always been here, like, waiting for my turn. And in that time, man, I got to tell you, I felt like the hand of God on me. And it was in the form of, the people that came out of the woodwork to like shelter me from the pain that anyone would expect to feel. And when strangers showed up to clean up this, this burned up dream of mine, like it really showed me that good can outweigh evil and typically does. So we had a lot of those people on the podcast to tell their version of what it was like at the cabin and, and uh, you know, close the book on something that was, yeah, really special we actually had just listeners of the podcast reach out and is this the weekend you're cleaning up and they came up from southern southeast missouri yeah chad huber and his buddy they they drove all the way up just to help clean for the day and then then left back yeah it was was, uh like i said i i felt like i was experiencing it with you the way you guys were telling it yeah episode 74 january 26 2021 when that one came out um yeah you know and i i kind of you know, obviously there's so many things I've listened to, but there's there's certain things that I was excited to talk to you guys about today. Um, you know, that not excited, I guess, to talk about that, but you know, I've never sure. I've never met no, Brandon or Shags in person. And uh actually I don't think yeah, I've talked to both of you one time. So, you know, it's it's kinda cool to uh ask about that and then you fast forward to a few months ago. And Shags has this Shag strokes out. <laughs> you know? I, I mean the podcast is a real grind, dude. Like I'm I like, blame Brandon for that. I'm like, Shags, come on, man. Like, we need a break. So he's like, All right, I'll just have a stroke. Yeah. Called, that and that podcast is called the Great Stroke. The Great Strokeation. Yeah. I'm glad we can joke around about it now because it was pretty scary in in the moments. Well, dude, he he, you know. He has a struggle let him tell the story about how it all went down because it's crazy to hear somebody explain the process of going through a stroke. 
But I will, I will give my plug for modern medicine in the sense that when I got to the hospital about two hours after he was there, he couldn't talk, he couldn't walk, uh, his, his right side of his body was shut down. And like, I was genuinely like out of my mind scared for him. Like I thought he's never going to be the same. And three days later, he walked out of the hospital. Like it was just, it was a true miracle, man. Like the big got there in time. Yeah. Yeah. They they gave him medicine and it it worked and clearly God's got more plans for this guy. Hey, yeah. looking out the window in my basement here, and there goes a whole herd of deer. I've got, I live in Columbia at the moment, and there's nice. this, like, place behind the house where there's a bunch of city deer. Yeah, those so, city deer. Yeah, they, they're, you can walk right up to them sometimes, right? But, um, yeah. yeah. Tell the story, dude, of how the stroke went down. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can just go back and listen to the strokeation, because it's kind episode, of a long story. Episode 173. I, I mean, like, you woke up aware that you were having a stroke. No, I woke up mid-stroke. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know I was actually having a stroke until I realized I couldn't talk. I remember waking up from a nap and and just being like, "Why is where's my right where's my right arm?" And remember in a haze, like looking around for it, I couldn't find it. And then it didn't even look like it was a part of my body. It looked like it was detached and just on the bed. And I remember grabbing it, putting it on my chest, and then trying to get up, and I couldn't get up. And I even had the thought of, "Am I having a stroke?" I was like, no, dude, you're four. You know, I was 44 at the time. I was like, you're 44 years old. You're not having a stroke. So I found myself awkwardly off the bed and on the bed. And like, well, I guess this is how Savannah is going to find me because she was supposed to be home. That's my fiance at any time from work. So after about 30 minutes of laying there, I got a little bit of feeling enough to sit up at least. And I tried to stand up and I kind of fell back down on the bed and I just shuffled around enough to put some clothes on. And I remember going and just standing outside like a weirdo. And people say that a lot. Like, uh, apparently, when people are having strokes and, uh, and someone's seeing it, like, hey, we need to take you somewhere. There's something wrong with you. They get very combative. And I can kind of see that now because it never crossed my mind I was ever in any danger. And even though I was dragging my whole right side around, for some reason, it just, I couldn't comprehend. I mean, I was having a stroke. I was having a traumatic brain injury and it wasn't working correctly. And it got to the point where I was like, man, maybe I should go to the hospital. I'm just going to drive myself. And I had to pick up my right leg, your, you know, your gas pedal leg and pull it into my vehicle. And we talk about uh, higher powers or people looking out for you. Uh, my key went in the ignition and I went to turn it and my phone rang. And it was Savannah. And that's when I realized I couldn't talk because the whole time before I was all in my head talking talking myself through this. Yeah. And then that's when like I couldn't even make a noise. I was just heavy. I couldn't even squeak. I couldn't do anything. And that's when I realized I was in a lot more trouble than I ever comprehended. So the... She gets there. She gets me to the hospital. And it was probably a good thing I couldn't talk because there was some kid in front of me asking the receptionist in the ER a bunch of stupid, like, questions you could have Googled. And I'm just back there, like, like, trying, like, 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 literally dying, standing. My brain, my brain is bleeding. And, and I couldn't get, I couldn't get out of, like, dude, get out of the way. Like, I'm in some serious trouble. And as soon as they saw me, I was back getting tests and when Brandon showed up and a couple of other co-workers they had already given me the 
the the medicine but apparently i wasn't much help because i kept nodding yes to everything they were saying <laughs> like when did this start like one o'clock and i just nod my head yes two o'clock and i nod my head yes and thankfully the doctor and savannah we're just going to risk it and give me the medicine because apparently if you take it after the small window, it makes the injury even worse. So it was a real risky thing that they did that got me to where I am now. But when Brandon was talking about seeing me, he's the first one that noticed that I could comprehend what people were saying because he asked me, he's like, you can hear us, right? And I nodded yes. He's like, you understand what we're saying? Yes. He's like, do you think you could draw? Do you think you could write? And I nodded yes. So they got me a pen and paper and I sat there and just stared at this thing at this clipboard and this paper and this pen was in my hand and I couldn't even get I was like just scribble dude just make the mark just scribble and I couldn't get my right side I couldn't get my hand to do it and another friend of ours Josh Ryan was there and he just leaned in he's like just draw a dick dude <laughs> I was gonna say it would have been and, really and, funny looking back at just just some boobs <laughs> well, yeah, but in my in my head like I started to well up like I started crying because in my head I was like I can't even draw a dick what's my life gonna be where I can't even draw Who am I if I can't even draw a penis yes so it it started to all like everything started to kind of catch up with me of I've made a living out of speaking and I can't even doodle or I can't even communicate like what's my life going to be how am I going to provide and it was a super super scary moment but after having that clot bluster or clot buster they gave me there was improvement every single hour we were just seeing it it was it was pretty even to the next day when Brandon saw me I could start I was speaking again but it was in short sentences like I couldn't keep uh, a long conversation going but yeah to go in Monday afternoon, early evening, uh, not being able to talk, walk, communicate to walking out on my own on Thursday and then saying I could go back to work if I wanted to was a miracle. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, that that I was going to say I was listening to that one too and it just I mean, scary. I mean, fun, you can make fun of a lot of stuff now, you know, after you know what happened and Shags is good to go. Um you know, you can always kind of like laugh at yourself later. But at the time, I think there was a show right before that when I think that Brandon gave an update on Shags maybe before the 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 strokeation. Yeah, and that one I was just like, I mean, man, this this could be like, is he gonna be all right? Is he done? Is you know all this stuff? And um, so once again, like that was another one that you know I had the feels. The feels were going on right. And we had, I don't know if they were exactly the same time. Let's see. Yeah, your stroke happened. December 5th. After. (laughs) I will never forget. (laughs) (laughs) So it was before, uh, yeah, it was right around that same time. But we actually had a show with a guy, a friend of Micah's. uh, His name's Danny Goldhammer. What a name, by the way, right? That's a great name. Goldhammer, sorry. We called him Goldhammer. He had a stroke. He got uh, covid and he's like 38 years old at the time or whatever he was, you know, younger. And his wife was doing some research on something, and he's like, man, something's wrong. And she's like, maybe you're going to have a stroke because it does say this. Well, he ends up having a damn stroke that night. And it was <laughs> the same situation as you. His wife ends up, like, putting him on top of her back and, like, carrying him to the car. And he gets to the hospital in time. He loses vision in both eyes for a long time or at least one eye couldn't see at night he goes from having that stroke thinking that he's never going to see again 
can't drive a vehicle to killing one of the biggest bucks of a lifetime that that deer season. And, well, you know, you're just like when those things happen, uh, you know, luckily it hasn't happened to me. So you, you can see other people going through it and you're just you're like how fleeting life can be. You know, you're just moving on through your life and you wake up and you're like, I'm having a damn stroke or something. Right. And, you know, luckily sounds like you've made a pretty full recovery. Everything good now. Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and you're right, dude. It, it definitely gives you a appreciation for life and just the idea of the things we take for granted. Cause like, will, will I ever get to wade fish or a river again? Will I be able to get out and hunt or walk to a stand? There's a, there's a lot that crosses your mind when you're laying at the staring at the ceiling in the hospital in the ER, but yep. um, it, it's a fortunate man who's humble enough to wake up each day and be thankful. Yeah, for sure. To walk. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know. And, and just to be clear, like, even if I was still sitting here and not being able to, to doodle, we would still be making a lot of fun of it and making, making jokes is an unhealthy coping me- mechanism. Yeah. I have. Oh yeah. Is it- yeah. <laughs> Is when it, I'm uncomfortable, I, I make jokes. Is it bad that I'm I am a little disappointed because I, I had a I had a vision in my head of him looking like uh, the old man Lebowski in his wheelchair yeah. with the blanket over his Jeffrey. leg. Yeah, Jeffrey Lebowski. And I was gonna push him up to the stand there at Dry Run <laughs> Creek down in Arkansas, where only disabled people can fish. I was like, I finally have my in, and Shags would be sitting there in his wheelchair drooling, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'd be fly fishing next to him, catching those lunkers, and being like, Oh yeah, I'm just helping my friend here. But no, he and had to go make a, me at the same time. He had know? to go make a get full a, recovery. Yeah, I was gonna get a van for him with one of those lips and everything. Here he is walking out of the hospital. He painted like the 18, 18 van. Yeah, Sounds like later. like normal shags. You're a disappointment. You have. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank Man. you. It's like God. Can't you do anything? I for know. Us? This guy gets us. <laughs> But so, you know, I'm kind of like doing this little like power walk through your guys' podcast, you know, some of my favorite ones. And now this show, as of the day we're recording with you guys, has not happened. I have a feeling it's going to because the last uh, – actually, it wasn't the last show I listened to. One of your most recent shows, you guys just got back from Africa. Not Shags. Shags, you weren't cool enough. But Brandon, you were. Yeah, you went cool to Africa. Enough. I just didn't have the money for it. <laughs> yeah, so we just had a we had an episode called Josh Gets Drunk and Buys a Trip to Africa. It's hilarious, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, and uh, it, he bought it at the Rocky Mountain Health Foundation banquet down in uh, Jefferson City area. And he, he called and said, hey, man, I bought this trip. Do you want to go? And I was like, yes. And then I asked my cousin, Derek, to go. And both of those guys have been on the podcast a number of times. Um, back in 2020, 20 i was doing a executive mba at the university of missouri and we were supposed to go to south africa uh, to work through this third world country it was like an exposure to an emerging market in the world on the world business stage so i tacked on a, a safari at the end where i would leave cape town everybody else would fly back to the states i'd rent a car drive to like the southern tip of south africa is called the garden route and i was going to drive that to port elizabeth and then go out on safari there. So when Josh is like, yeah, it's a safari in Port Elizabeth. I'm like, dude, I'm in. I'm in. Because that got, of course, canceled because of COVID. So I got to Zoom for two weeks instead of go to Africa. In Sounds amazing. 
Yeah. So anyways, when, 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 you know, this new opportunity got laid in my hands, I, I jumped on it and, um, there's so many things to go over, man. First of all, I'll say this, like the game is getting you there for as long as you can be there. Like our hunt was seven days or, or eight days. It needed to be about four days. The, the idea for them is like, they give you a break on the lodging and the food and everything that you get in camp, but they want to keep you there because there is no limit. There is no tagging out. It's whatever you pull the trigger on. So when we went over there, we had created our lists of what we wanted to hunt. Yeah, I liked they, I liked they, hearing your lists. They blow you through your list, and then they leave you to sit with nothing to do for a few days. Unless you want to go to town, they charge you 80 bucks to go to town. Uh, Derek and I rode horses on the beach, and when we got there, they are like, yes, that'll be X amount of rand, and we figured it was like $27. And then we had to pay through the outfitter, though, who charged us $100. So he, like, went up. 400 percent on the actual cost of the excursion Mm -hmm. which sucked so of course now i've learned so much just from one trip but you know when i'm talking about the game there were fences all over like i you know i was real apprehensive about going because of the fences um i'm gonna write an article called when in rome because i was doing what the romans do while i was there and they're there, I didn't kill anything that a 85-year-old man in a wheelchair couldn't have killed. And that was just what I signed up for, unbeknownst to me, what it was going to be. Am I happy I killed it? Yeah. I killed a Cape Buffalo, a Wildebeest, a Gemsbuck, an Impala, and a White Blessed Buck. And I'm going to have this beautiful African wall, and I can feel incredibly good about where all the meat went. All that meat, some of it is sold, like like game meat to restaurants. There's a market for the the prime stuff. But as the Native Americans did, they utilized nearly every piece of these animals. And when you see the poverty over there and you see the shanty towns that they call the location and the people that are reliant upon the money coming in from hunting and the meat that's provided from the outfitters to orphanages, old folks' homes, food pantries, wherever, you can feel really good about what you're doing at times it's like shooting cattle in a, in you know in a, in a very very beautiful area that's kind of what like the killing the cape buffalo was like shoot that cow and um but then we pulled the back strap out of that and ate it that night and it was some of the best like op- open wood fire meat i've ever had Ooh, so good. i mean it was it was super super cool but what i learned is the adventure is there like it's on you though to like set up your hunt the way you want it to be Talk to the outfitter before you get there. Tell them what level of difficulty you're looking for. Next time I go back, I want to get a spiral horn slam, but I also want to just hit the bush with my longbow. So if I'm turned loose in 10,000 acres with a longbow where there's baboons that'll rip you to pieces, snakes that'll kill you with one bite, you know, there's real adventure there to be found. But their goal as the outfitter is to get you to shoot as much shit as you'll shoot as fast as you'll shoot it. So you'll order the next thing off the list. And that's what Josh did. (laughs) (laughs) So please tell me he ripped through his list and just kept going. He did. Like he added a bush buck. So like they pull things on you too. Like I got there and they were like, um, hey, we got this special opportunity. This guy wants to turn his farm into a citrus farm. And there's a herd of Cape Buffalo there. And they want them gone. And I'm like, yeah, a Cape Buffalo is like 14,000 bucks. You got the wrong dude. He's like, well, he's like, you can do a cow 
for 2000 bucks. And they look about the same, just the bosses on the top of their head are not as big. And I thought, well, shit. All right. So then I had to like re redo my list. I, you know, at that point I'm like, okay, I'm going to drop either the Gemsbuck or the Kudu. And like, if you've listened to me before, like I'm a collector. Shags is sitting in front of my Ironwood collection, my recurve and longbow collection. Like I just collect shit. And I've got the world slam of turkeys full body mounted. Like once I start a process and I'm in this 50 and 50 by 50 where I'm trying to kill something in every state by the time I turn 50, I just collect experiences. So when I found out that the kudu is part of the spiral slam that also includes the Niala, the bush buck and the eland, I was like, well, I'm just going to come back and kill the spiral slam all in one trip. That way it's not like when Tiger Woods won like three of the masters in one year or when he won three of the majors in one year and then one in the next year, like, was it the slam? You know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to deal with that. I'm going to kill them all in the same year. So you can go do that and, and, and set yourself up for, you know, adventure that way. But go over there, get your feet wet, shoot a bunch of shit. Like it was fun, man. And feel good about the money you're spending going to these people that are living in poverty and the meat that you're providing to them. The bones are taken and turned into jewelry. I brought Shags' fiance back a, uh, a kudu bone necklace and bracelet. Um, so yeah, it, there's nothing that happened over there that I feel guilty about, but at the same time, it wasn't exactly, I mean, that's not even a good way to say it. It, it wasn't even close to what I personally enjoy when it comes to hunting. It's not what how, your version of hunting is, you know, it's just it's like, that, it, yeah. was, it was different. Yeah. It was like shooting live targets. Which is like prairie dog hunting, which is cool. Like I've done a bunch of. It's like shooting live targets. Um, so, anyways, that, which that you know, was I mean, those those animals over there. I heard you guys talking on on that show where Josh got drunk and bought a hunting trip to Africa. You know, like the baboons are so overpopulated. The uh, I don't know about all the other animals being overpopulated, mm-hmm. but you know, the the money that comes into their economy from the hunters doing these sorts of things. Um, you know, you could imagine what would happen if that were, you know, taken away. Uh, if, people if would you, die. People would come die. Over. Literally. Yeah. Literally, people would die if there wasn't hunting over there. To, yeah. feed, to feed people, to give income to people, uh, to create an economy around wildlife. And that's what uh, just the average person, average Joe doesn't understand. Because even when Brandon had posted a couple of pictures on our social media page, there were a couple of comments of... Yeah, people well, what a bad person I yeah am. not knowing like oh you're just a trophy hunter but then you show them a picture of the location and a starving baby and now i put protein in that kid's belly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know come at me now and uh and you'll always have people that you know see a oh uh, sure cute you know a cute water buffalo or cute something and go i can't believe you would shoot i mean there was a, pr- a very prominent uh pr- hunter that just recently i'm not going to name his name just recently killed a jaguar and over in, in Africa and he actually put a nice a good post out about how important a leopard? it is a leopard a, a yes leopard? a leopard yeah, yes yeah. jaguars know, are down in the jungle you know who i'm talking about and there was a good post ab- about why that was important you know um, it's not about oh i just want to go and kill a leopard it's it's the money that comes into those economies it's you know you're helping the um, the hierarchy of the animals out there too. I mean, some animals need to go. I, I remember listening to, uh, there's a podcast. I'm sure you guys know who they are. Working class bow hunter. They also went to 
Africa last year. And one of them ended up killing a giraffe. And this giraffe was like an old bull that was hurting other bulls and he needed to go. Well, so how else go? You know, they make some money and he's able to harvest a really cool giraffe, you know. Um, so I haven't got to go. I, I would do it in a heartbeat, I think. But hearing the stories about it is what is dry, like, is my version of going to Africa now. So when I heard you were getting to go, and then we set up this podcast, I'm like, there's no way he's not back yet. He had to have done it. I've got to ask him how Africa was. Yeah. So, so the, the, the land itself, man, like, I've been telling everybody that it, it's kind of resembling uh, if Montana was on the ocean. So you've got you've got these beautiful different landscapes of kind of like badlands, broken, um, jagged breaks type areas, and then you've got mountains, some with snow on top of them, within spitting distance of the Indian Ocean. Uh, I hunted with a guy named Patrick one day who runs boats in the bay for filming for shark week it was my absolute nightmare <laughs> he told this story he told this story about a dude that, and this is in plettenberg bay that's where that's where i killed the cape buffalo it was just north of plettenberg bay and um he said they were out there filming for shark week he shows me this video of a shark eating his raft like bites it pops it is now attacking the the motor and he's kicking this shark in the face. And this shark is as big as the raft, trying to get it off his motor that it's destroying while his boat sinks that this shark just popped. And he's like, oh, this shark's name is Rolex. And I'm like, why is this shark's name Rolex? He said, because there was this guy who used to live in town. And we all told him to stop swimming in the bay, that these sharks are acting funny right now. You don't want to be out there. Well, they found his torso minus the arm that had his Rolex on it. <laughs> so that shark ate his arm and had a Rolex inside of it. And now they call it Rolex. Yeah. And they just, drugged and pa Patrick helped drag that dude's torso to the shore. Just, well, Josh told me they were trying to put you in a cage and get no, you down sharks. No, but then apparently they made it illegal. So you just mentioned my, my nightmare. I, I can think of, I, I'm not a fan of oceans, man. Like they're beautiful, but I'm not a big Scared. fan of getting inside of something that, there's a bunch of things inside that can kill me and I can't see them yeah. coming. Dude, like it we just got back from Florida and um we were out on this sandbar one night with my sons looking for sand dollars and this, Where were you at in Florida? Um oh Madeira Beach. I don't know what part of the state that it's is. Near Tampa. It's on the Gulf okay. side. Okay. And so okay. And my son looks up and he's like, Dad, look, and there's a dolphin like thirty feet from us. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And the whole time I'm thinking that thing could come screw us up if it wanted to, you know. And everyone thinks dolphins are cute and lovely, but it's by itself. So I'm sitting there going, that's a male by himself. My other son's out there looking for sand dollars, has no idea this dolphin swims like seven feet away from him. And the kid's just oblivious that a <laughs> an animal with so much power is just right there. And I'm just like, put me back on land now <laughs> yeah. you, so, you midwest boys crack me up yes. I love the ocean. my parents have a winter home in bradenton just south of tampa just south of, just south of the sunshine skyway bridge so i'm in that same area and i go down there to finish up my scuba certification i, I did most of it here in a pool in columbia but then you got to do your open water dives 
I was planning on doing it at Bull Shoals. Like I'm going to be a freshwater diver. Uh, but I found myself in Florida with time and I'm like, I'm just going to do it. You know? So I went to a dive shop, they hooked it up. Dude takes me out to Anna Maria Island, which is just off of the sunshine skyway. And I remember hearing that there's like a lot of sharks that go through that channel. So we get out into the water and it's like coffee color. I can't see my hand <laughs> extended. You know, I'm picturing like, you know, aqua blue Bahama water with little like Nemo looking fish swimming around me. And it was like being in the Missouri river. And, um, he goes, okay, we're going to go down. Now, if something big comes by you, it's probably, it, no, it might be a manatee. I'm like, cool. He's like, but it's probably a shark. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? What? Could have done without so, that second statement. <laughs> yeah, man. And so I ended up doing it. And then he's like, okay, we got to do this one more time tomorrow. And I was like, no, we're not, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Like at that point I'd already been in the water. Let's get this shit over with and get out of there. So I made that dude drive an hour inland to a crystal clear lake that had like an underwater obstacle course for scuba divers. And that was my jam. Like that That's was cool. There were largemouth bass. There was tilapia. There's all kinds of fun fish to play with. You could see 50 feet in front of you. And uh, I'm yep, with you, I man. My, yeah. I'm a prototypical, um, like I'm the version of a human being that knows he used to be prey. You know, like, (laughs) like when I'm, when I'm in the mountains, I'm keenly aware that mountain lions exist and I'm keenly aware that, you know, I don't want to go where the grizzly is. And I even know black bears can mess you up. Uh, I am a sissy, so I don't like putting myself in situations where I can be the hunted, (laughs) you know, I like to have the, uh, the upper hand. So the, the ocean has always made me uncomfortable because. Oh, you've seen a person try to swim. It doesn't work real oh, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I said I'm not I'm not afraid of sharks on the land. I'm just afraid of sharks in their environment. No. If a shark wants to come and fight me on the beach, let's go, bro. You know, walk up 100%. to me, you know. But yeah, 100%. uh 100%. I'm with you, but that, you know, that that Africa trip, man, I'm I'm anxious to hear about it uh on your guys' show. Well, look, show. I'm I'm in I loved it so much, man, that I'm in the process right now of helping my professional hunter uh, potentially with a land deal. Like I'm excited about this in the future. There's not much more I want to say about it right now. Sure. But if we do that, I definitely want to get, you know, some trips set up and get people like yourself over there and start spreading the word. So I'm going to go down there and fish for tiger, yeah, tiger so, fish. So Patrick, the dude that was kicking Rolex in the face is a fisheries <laughs> biologist as well. And he invited us to come over and fly fish for tiger fish. And if you're not familiar with tiger fish, you should Google that for google it yeah. right now yeah. i have internet gonna, again so i'll do it right we're now gonna, <laughs> we're gonna do that up in zimbabwe that's always been a bucket list fish of mine and, and if this deal works out that i'm, I'm oh dear lord that thing's got teeth like a tiger yeah yeah <laughs> man i'm gonna i'm gonna have my own house on or cottage cabin whatever you want to call it on a, about two thousand acres uh, but not all the hunts are like the experience you had though because no. there, there's uncle steve has right. gone many a times and the the one he goes to is like tens of thousands of acres. Well, we had tens of thousands of acres to cover too. But and they were separated farms. Some of them were. Not, we were never on anything smaller than 5,000 acres. And the fences are low. They're not, they're not like, they're nothing like what you see here. I mean, they are, they do impact the herd in, in some instances. Like I saw herds of animals along fences that were just like zebras, things like the bigger things that were there. But they run their fences to where 
there's a lot of space between strands of wire that have no barbs. So I watched a lot of animals just like, like the way a deer would jump over a fence, uh, they would just jump through it. And mm-hmm. I watched like warthogs go through it like it wasn't even there. They just blow right underneath it. Like the bottom kind of lifts up. A Cape Buffalo, anything like that. If it really wanted to get out, it would be like breaking through a piece of two pound fishing line. You know, it, it's not, it's more of a psychological barrier, I believe, than an actual physical barrier. But I, I don't want to give any kind of impression that I'm, I'm down on the experience at all. Like it was amazing. It was so cool to, to see the animals, to shoot some animals, uh, to just kind of get that first hunt over there out of the way. Cause Uncle Steve and another, Lots of people said, like, you know, it's a needle to the vein, man. Like, once you, you know, once you take that first hit, you're going back in. And I'm already planning, not only planning, I'm planning on becoming part of an outfitting operation over there. Nice. So it, it really Brandon was, jumping like, way off. Yes, he is. <laughs> you, Cocaine's a hell of a drug, you know, is what they say. <laughs> Nobody knows him was surprised when he came back. <laughs> I own part of Africa, just so you guys know now. Uh, <laughs> Dude, land over there is like, you know, two, three hundred dollars an acre. And it's like going back in time, man. It yeah. really is. But you can't just like own it and not, you know, there, it's, there's political complications sure, sure. as well. Yeah, boy, that would be nice. I have a buddy who just bought a farm for 6000 an acre, and he got a good deal. Oh, yeah, dude, for sure. I I could sell my 40 acres in Howard County and and buy 5,000 acres in Africa with the same money. With the same money. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that show. By the time this comes out for us, uh, that, that show might already be out. So if you are listening to us right now and you haven't, go check out Triftwood Outdoors. Uh, and see if you can see the the show. I, I guess I'm kind of talking for uh, Brandon and Shags, but I'm guessing they're going to talk about that on their their show at some point. So, well, we've got we did the we did the like we have no idea what we're getting into episode, which was Josh gets drunk and buys a trip to Africa. Yep. Then while we were there, we recorded uh, four nights in a row, like recaps. So Shags in his like editing wizard <clears throat> in his editing wizardry uh, put parts one and two together and parts three and four together so there's there'll be episode one and episode two yeah day one and two is part one day three and four sweet part two and then we're gonna do a, a wrap up like the recap Shags is gonna interview me for a few minutes and then we're gonna bring Derek and josh back on and 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 wrap the whole thing up so we'll have four weeks total of african content and we're interested to see if people like that if they like oh, dig I, the I, idea of i've it. got uh sounds like four shows that i'll be able to just take care of at least a week worth of work so thank you for that <laughs> so that works for me well you know Shag- yeah but then i'm over there and i'm over, yeah i was gonna say i'm over there in africa and uh you know posting gimsbuck and wildebeest and and then shags goes down and catches three giant trout in one day on the current river and people are like africa they just gravitate right to his post on social media and like no one gives a shit about the gimsbuck they just killed shags caught more trout that's because shags is awesome I mean, well, thank you for you finally know. recognizing that. <laughs> so what, what, let's let's hear about this three trout three trout day on uh, on the current river, man. Well, let's clarify. It was three trophies, not just three trout. Three trophies. Dang. No, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, He's not kidding. They were amazing fish. John, I mean, it's easy to go down there and catch three trout. Nobody's going down there and catching one. He caught three of. Them. Yeah, the, says, I wake up in the morning. I piss excellence. <laughs> 
<laughs> it, it, it just happened to work out. Well, because we, we joked about on our podcast when we interviewed you about gift cards and me losing my polarized sunglasses. So I'd gone down the, a day before and I had fished and I don't know what I did with my polarized glasses. I lost them on that Friday. So Saturday we, I had some work done on my, my trailer that I have down there. And, uh, the fiance and I were like, well, let's go get a bite to eat and then we'll fish in the afternoon and just be casual. And like, I'm just going to grab my spinning rod because without my polarized glasses, being able to see, where my flies are at in the water. And I didn't want to have to deal with that, not knowing where my flies were. Cause I like to sight fish and whatever. So I'm like, I'm going to grab my spinning rod and some jerk baits and we'll go down there. And we weren't having any luck. And there was a person in the spot that I wanted to go to. And we were feeling very defeated and very frustrated. And we were already planning on where we were going to go next. And that wasn't I the changed. guy that you were like, get this guy out of here. He just wanted to say how <laughs> awesome you were. No, I mean, I was sitting there and we joke and I've even joked on the radio show and on the podcast that I want to stop talking about that area so much because now it's affecting my fishing because there's so many people down there. Oh, I can see but, it. But yeah, and, which I shouldn't because I'm supposed to be a sportsman and I'm all about conservation until it impacts my conservation then I don't like it as much. <laughs> but um we had get, we gotten this plan like, well, okay, we're going to walk out. We're going to go to this other spot and we're going to try some things. And as we were walking out, I, I casted with a new lure and I caught that huge rainbow, which that rainbow kind of gets lost in the photo dump because it's not as colorful and pretty as the Browns I caught. But that thing was a beast. That thing was probably close to seven pounds. It was 23 and a half inches long and 14-inch girth. It was by far the biggest rainbow I've ever caught in my life. It barely fit in my net. It was a hog. And uh, we released it, and at that time, I noticed the guys fishing and the spot down below were walking out, and they'd already gotten past us. So I was like, why don't we just keep with the original plan now? And even in my head, I was like, I should just walk out. It's not going to get any better. There's no way I'm going to catch other fish that size. And, and even Savannah was like, I don't know, let's just keep going. I was like, all right, let's go. We go back down to the next hole where they were standing for an hour fishing and I didn't see them catch anything. I caught those two Browns out of that. And the one that's the super orange belly, I'd seen him in there before because he glows that, that belly is yeah, so orange is... with the polarized glasses. You can see him in the water if you know what you're looking for. And it was so cool to catch him because he came out of the water like two or three times. And when I say come out of the water, he was completely out airborne flying. Just even Savannah's like, Oh my goodness. It's like, we don't like that. We wanted him to stay in the water. And those were both over 20 inch Browns. And one was 21. The other one was right at 20. And yeah, it just was a remarkable day. I caught a handful of other fish, but to be able to catch three trophies in the first four fish you catch in the day, is just unheard of. Like that was by far one of the best days I've I've ever had on the water. And it probably wouldn't have happened if I hadn't lost my Polaroids glasses and if we hadn't got frustrated and say we were gonna walk out, it may it may have never even happened. That rainbow is a beast. Dude, it was huge. It that picture doesn't do it justice of how massive that fish was. It 
it was the biggest rainbow I've ever caught. Have you fished Taney Como much, Nate? Oh, man, it's been – my dad – so my dad's a huge fly fisherman. He That's all he does. He uh, – when my kids were younger, we used to go down to Taney Como a lot together. I had a fifth wheel, so did he. Um, once I sold it, that has stopped happening as much. So it's been several years since I've been down there. I love Taney Como. Well, you need to come to the CFM media event. I need oh, to. Oh, yeah, you should have them come down there for that. Also, yeah, by the way, then. Shags – the sunglasses you're wearing in the rainbow picture, those aren't your new polarized ones, are they? <laughs> no, no. Thank no, God. No. Find you something better for you there. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> oh, come on, man. Those are my everyday walking around glasses. That's cool. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. Dude, that is a B. I mean, if, if that was like in the sun, because you can tell the picture is in the shade, Yeah, that is a giant rainbow. I mean... You know, the, the boys are just so – that's what I love about Bennett Springs. The boys, you know, there's just so many opportunities to catch fish. I mean, heck, you're standing in the water and there are fish swimming all around you. Oh, yeah. But most of those fish, you know, aren't going to be gigantic. Um, the boys just have a, an absolute blast with catching – my gosh, that rainbow is beautiful. Or that brown, I mean. Yeah, that orange belly yeah. one was – was yeah, I can see it what was you just, mean. It, it was neat because I'd seen all three of those fish in those holes before throughout the year. Because I like to say I like to sight fish with my fly rod, and I couldn't catch them. And then now I feel like I'm cheating. I hear just like my some of my guide fly fishing guide friends talking about the cheater rod because I was throwing spinning gear, Chuck Grease oh, in yeah. my ear. Yep, to, to saying it's cheating, but that's I mean, me. It was just neat to be able to catch those those three fish after knowing that they were in there yeah oh that's me all day i'm i'm very uh like as as good as i feel like i am with a bow and you know sometimes rifles when it's coyote hunting i'm i'm the the least talented fisherman in the world like i used to fly fish with my dad was never amazing at it still could probably do it if i needed to and you know i'm gonna throw something on the end of a a rod and reel and throw it in the water like that's my fishing uh, acumen my son like I was telling you guys earlier, could fish circles around me. Teaches me so much. The boy's already got like a bait caster for, for bass and stuff, and he's just flipping the thing. like, And he, he's just amazing at it. And he pretty much teaches himself these things. And, uh, that's so awesome. I'll have to make him – I'll make sure he has to – we need to get him down to Tandy Coma, that's for sure. Uh, and some other places outside of Bennett. He just he, – he has a special place in his heart for Bennett. It's – our family went there for years, and hell, my my third son is named Bennett because That's of, cool. of Bennett Spring. So it's you know it's got a special place in our heart as a family. But I need to branch out and let him hunt or fish in some of these other places too. See what those state parks tax dollars do for exactly. you. Exactly. We only need to get you in our Smithfly rafts. We'll row you down the. We'll roll, roll down your whole crew down the river. That, Try to catch some big sounds fish. Sounds like a good Party idea at the to Polish me. Embassy. Yeah, That's a good idea, boys. Man, I'll tell you what, I had so many things I wanted to talk to you about, but then I just started thinking about all the different things I've listened to in, in your guys' podcast and, you know, help help get our listeners to know you all better if they don't already know you. But if they don't, um, one of you two, just give me a quick plug about how people can can uh, consume some of the stuff you do and, and, and see you guys. Well, Brandon is the outdoor writer, so you can read all his articles at our website, driftwoodoutdoors.com, and we have a weekly podcast every Tuesday. It comes out the same, the same day your guys' does, and it really is just highlighting the Midwest, Missouri, 
I mean, we get lucky enough to where, I mean, me growing up in Oregon, you like to go out west and hunt. We have a couple of podcasts, not only salmon fishing on the Columbia River, but also Brandon going and getting his first ever blacktail buck out there. He's a world traveler now, so you get podcasts about him in Africa. You get tear-jerking podcasts about us turning in poachers and then burning down tra- burning down cabins. I mean, it's <laughs> it's quite the we got strocations. I mean, it's quite the spectrum <laughs> of outdoor content. And we like to say that it's not, you know, it's called Driftwood Outdoors, but it's really about people and it's about interesting experiences, cool people, cool places that are somehow associated with the outdoors. Yeah, 100%. Love it. Man, Brandon Butler, Nathan Shags McLeod, I appreciate you guys coming on so much. Yeah, man, we, we really appreciate it, too, and let's do it again. Yeah, for sure, man. Respect what you guys are doing with your guys' podcast, and just love it, man. Keep up the, the yoke hunting. Try to. Thanks, boys. Thank you. See ya.